the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We are sounding absolutely perfect, buddy. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. How you feeling? Did uh, we get your prescription filled and your, <laughs> your tickers in, in tune and all that? I did, <laughs> yes, yes. Everything's great. The voice is sounding good today. I am uh, an official client of the doctors now. You're my personal physician. Hey, I need a testimonial to the uh, to the telemedicine. I mean, that's how we did it. It was great. Were, yeah, it's terrific. It's it's so easy, folks. You just you just uh, call the office at eight seven at seven two seven three eight four six four one one seven two seven three eight four six four one one. Make an appointment for telemedicine. We'll text you or email you a link if you're on your cell phone. You just hit the button. And it connects you to my virtual office. You're in the waiting room, and it notifies me. And then I click a button, and I see you. You see me, and we have a chit chat, so we can we can diagnose and treat right over the phone. It is medicine of the future. You know what I mean? It's medicine of the future in the present. How, yeah. how does that happen? How can the future? <laughs> it's be a in time the warp, Doc. It's just a time warp. I'm all confused, man. Where are we? <laughs> Yesterday or tomorrow? <laughs> All right, well, I got a busy show I'm going to talk about. My mother, as everyone knows, who's listened to the show for a few years on Mother's Day. What a great lady. What an interesting and full life she had. And I'll tease you a little bit about that, and we'll get back to that later. But I wanted to, because uh, a lot of people are asking me, were we really doing anything in January about the, the virus? And then I'm not going to say anymore because I'm sick of talking about this virus. <clears throat> January 6th, CDC travel notice to Wuhan. They're telling us, don't go to Wuhan. January 7th, CDC establishes the COVID-19 division. So that was the official establishment of the task force. January 8th, CDC alerts all clinicians, that's me, to look out for new patients with respiratory symptoms who may have traveled to Wuhan. And the House Intelligence Committee is receiving regular briefings of the COVID-19 virus, but guess what they're working on? Impeaching the president. <laughs> January 14th, the World Health Organization publicly states there is no human-to-human transmission of COVID-19. Yeah, right. Well, how do you think it's getting around the world so quickly? You think mice are carrying it in their suitcases or what? <laughs> Let's, it, we got to get out of the World Health Organization. I've been saying that. we got to get out of this uh, uh, economic and blah, 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 organization for you know business development that I've been yelling about for years. January 15th, first patient in Washington State who was recently in Wuhan. House of Representatives on the 15th signs articles of impeachment. They're busy doing the, the real work of the nation, which is trying to unseat their opponent. 
The 17th of January, CDC implements mandatory health screening at three largest airports with flights from China, New York, San Francisco, and L.A. And, and we're not doing anything? I mean, who are the people that are making up these these uh, false stories about the administration and the CDC not doing anything? January 17th, CDC activates its emergency operations center to better respond. Emergency operations center, Wow. January 20th, Washington patient tests positive for COVID-19, so we know it's here. January 20th, Dr. Fauci announces that the National Institute of Health is already working on a COVID-19 vaccine. We were working on a vaccine in January, in January. By the way, we've been working on a SARS vaccine for a few years. It kind of fell by the wayside because SARS didn't turn out to be as as contagious as the uh, covid They're both coronaviruses, from my understanding. The 21st of January, Trump administration starts assembling the Coronavirus Task Force. 24th of January, Trump administration holds full Senate COVID-19 briefing. Political reports that the briefing was sparsely attended as it was the final day to submit impeachment questions. January 27th, CDC issues Level 3 health warning travel notice to avoid all unnecessary travel to China due to the covid and then the 29th, the White House announces the formation of a coronavirus task force to monitor and contain the spread of the virus. Uh, January 30th, mainstream media begins coverage of the virus. They're a little bit behind. CNN runs article, Coronavirus Task Force, another example of Trump administration lack of diversity. <laughs> Can you believe that? I mean... We're addressing this at the beginning of January, and the only nice thing that the CNN can say is that there's not enough women and children on the committee. I'm so sorry. You know, is this my fault? Wow, I missed that announcement. That was pretty sad. That, yeah, it's, it's too bad. Yeah. And, and then the 31st of January, Trump administration imposes travel restrictions to and from China and suspends entry into the U.S. for foreign nationals that posed a risk of carrying the coronavirus. Guess what they called him? A racist. Hmm. For being so mean to those poor, underprivileged Chinese, and they're all starving over there. No, they're not. I was over there two years ago. They're looking healthy, well-fed, tall, uh, immunized, uh, traveling on high-speed trains, going everywhere, doing everything, having nice vacations within their own country. And so the 31st of January, Nancy Pelosi introduced a bill called the No-Ban Act to limit the president's ability to restrict travel during national health emergencies. She's a real smart girl, isn't she? So she wanted to let everybody from China come on over here and infect us quicker. Uh, then on the 31st of January, guess what the Washington Post runs? Get a grip, America. The flu is a much bigger threat than coronavirus for now. And another article titled, How Our Brains Make Coronavirus Seem Scarier Than It Is. And then January 31st, here's our World Health Organization. Do not fund these people and do not fund the Organization for Economic uh, Development and Cooperation. Please, Mr. President, stop funding these organizations. The World Health Organization says restricting travel from China is having little public health benefit. Ha, 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 ha. Yeah, right. 
That's just in January, Ken. That is January. So anybody who thinks that we were not acting and not doing and not appropriately acting and doing as a nation, uh, our government, our CDC, our National Institute of Health, uh, your your local doctors, and believe me, we all thought in, in December when we first heard about this and throughout January, we were talking about this at the lunch table, that we were not sure if this was going to pan out to be anything because you remember how the SARS virus came and went in a big huff and, sure, yeah. and e- Ebola. And I, I said years ago when the Ebola hit, I said, nobody in the United States will die from Ebola. This is nonsense. The reason people in sub-Saharan Africa were dying from Ebola, Ken, was because they didn't have any health care and they were already uh, living marginally. So if you got a bad diarrhea virus with uh, uh, GI bleeding and bloody diarrhea and you're losing blood and then on top of that you got all the secondary symptoms of hemolysis breakdown of red cells inside your bloodstream. Well, you're going to die if you don't have fluids. You're going to die if you don't have blood. Then you get secondary infections. And if you don't have antibiotics, you're going to die. Nobody, not one person in the United States died from Ebola virus, as I predicted. Okay, I was wrong initially about the the uh, coronavirus, but, uh, you know, we quickly figured out that this was extremely contagious. What's the death rate? Well, of course, it's going to be well under 1% once we test everybody and see how many people are actually positive. But I'm not going to say a whole lot more about it because we've been beating that to death. Now, my my neighbor, Roger, I don't know if he's listening this morning. He probably is because he's retired and he doesn't have a whole lot to do. So he's, you know, pervert and listens to me. So he and I got into an argument about paints and he said, and he worked for Sherwin-Williams. He was an executive there. And he said, oh, all paints are the same. No, they're not. And I'm trying to tell him they're not the same. They're different uh, different resins, additives, binding agents, solvents, and pigments. So I'm going to go over this real quick, and there'll be a quiz at the end of the show, Ken. So get your pencil and I'll paper I'll start taking out. notes, yeah. Take notes. So, so the four main com- components in paint are resin, additive, solvent, and pigment. The resin is the binder that holds all the pigments together. So this is what allows everything to stick together and stick to the surface that, that you put the paint on. And water-based paints use acrylic emulsions. An emulsion is, uh, you know how, you remember when we were kids, when you got milk, the cream would float to the top? Sure. That was before we had emulsifiers and homogenization of milk. An emulsifier is a, it's, it's a little chemical, a little protein. One end will dissolve in water, and the other end will dissolve in fat. So you can take fat and water, your oil and water don't mix, as you know, and you can dissolve oil into water using an emulsifier. So these acrylics will not dissolve in water, or these polymers uh, won't dissolve in water without some kind of an emulsifier. And so common acrylic polymers come in a wide variety of types and combinations. There's methyl and butyl methyl acrylates. Inexpensive paints use polyvinyl acetate to bind together. So I was trying to tell Roger, and he won't listen to me because he doesn't understand chemistry. He's a business guy. I was saying, look, I'm an organic chemist. I, you know, th- there are differences in the paints. Here it is, polyvinyl acetate. So when you go to your big box stores like Lowe's and Home Depot and you get the cheaper stuff, you're getting an inferior quality paint uh, because of the additives. Now, there's also the dyes and the tints that they put in, and natural dyes are more expensive than the uh, synthetic dyes. 
they're harder to extract and they take more time and energy. And then there are pigments which are uh, made up of several different things. So all paints, Roger, are not the same. And I rest my case. And now I'm going to move on to my next topic. And I'm going to talk about my mother, so just keep your keep your shirt on, everybody. I'm, I'm going to get there, but I want to talk about a few other things first. I want to finish up the show about my mom, who is one of the unique women of the 20th century, who is unheralded. And uh, I'll let you know more about that later in the show, so don't go away. By the way, you can join me if you want, 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. I am Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. So now we're getting into a big deal over missile defense. Have you heard this, Roger, the offensive and defensive missile stuff? I've been uh, hearing a little bit about that, yeah. Ken, I said Roger, I meant Ken. Roger, if you're listening to. Yeah, you know, this apparently is a big deal because as we are uh, getting into a spitting contest with the Chinese because of the coronavirus and trade and other things, uh, you know, they're, they're pushing their ballistic missiles and testing and all that. And so we're pushing back and saying, hey, we, we got better missiles. Our missiles are bigger than your missiles. We got more missiles than you got. And actually, we have about 10 times the number of nuclear warheads. Uh, so it's a, it's a difficult situation because we hate to see the proliferation, pro, proliferation of, <clears throat> the, uh, of the military, but you know what, as President uh, Washington taught us as he left office, he said, the best way to ensure peace is with a strong military. And I think that that is good advice and should be listened to by all of us down through the centuries. Speak softly and carry a big stick, Doc. That's that's what Teddy said. That's what? right. That's right. And, uh, you know, if you, have, if you have a big Navy behind you and you say, gee, I wish you guys wouldn't do that, because <laughs> that hurts my feelings <laughs> and you got 88 inch guns aimed at your <laughs> whatever they're 10 inch or whatever size those guns are on the ships oh my gosh well you know we're gonna put these guys on ships out in the middle of the ocean there and we've got to defend those ships the best we can with whatever we can yeah and that's why we have the aegis uh, anti-missile missile system on these ships and we've got those uh, gatling guns that'll fire off thousands of rounds of 50 caliber shells uh, they are really cool by the way uh, they are too cool yeah. they will i mean they'll chew up a, an incoming missile and did you see where the president gave the navy they he said you can shoot if you if you feel threatened by iranian um, boats their little boats that they put on torpedoes you know like little pt boats sure they put torpedoes on them, and they have 50 caliber machine guns. And, you know, they can sink a big ship if they, if they land one of those torpedoes. He said, you can shoot. He said, you don't have to wait until they shoot at you. If you are threatened, you fire. So we haven't had any incidents lately. I think the, the Iranians <laughs> figured this isn't going to work out. I think that statement was enough to scare them off, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So what are we doing to defend ourselves? I mean, what are the elements of our current U.S. ballistic missile defense system? Because there's, what, 10 or 15 nations now that have ballistic missiles. Um, maybe four or five are capable of hitting the United States with their missiles. You know, that would be uh, Russia, China, Great Britain. Um, perhaps North Korea has a few missiles that can make it over here. We don't know how, how they're 
uh, guidance systems are, but we do know they have them, and uh, certainly India can now hit us or hit any country, not that they would want to. But So there's a few countries can actually get a nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missile over here. So what do we have? What, what do we got going for us? Well, we have a ground-based mid-course defense. We have the Aegis ballistic missile defense, which is on our ships. We have the terminal high-altitude area defense, the THAAD. We have the Patriot advanced capabilities and the Patriot missiles. We know about that. And you probably didn't know this, Ken, but we now have the space-based infrared system high, which is the SBIRS. I have not heard of that one yet. And this is pretty cool. This, uh, These are satellites that are in, in uh, geostable orbits. They're, they're up there. And they're in high orbits so that they're harder to get to with, with, with anti-satellite uh, missiles and knock them out. And they can detect anything that's being launched on the surface of the Earth or from space and th through infrared detection. And they can relay that back to ground-based computers, which will then uh, analyze and quickly tell us what to do, whether we need to fire ground-based or uh, sea-based missiles or whether we need to use what we're now launching into space, which are space-based anti-missile missiles. So we have, it's in its infancy, and Trump is, is ramping this up, and, and you can say, well, this is provocative, you know, this isn't going to work, and this is just going to make people develop uh, other systems that will get around this, and well, I mean, you know, the, the shortest lived secrets are military, so uh, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, you just got to keep trying to stay ahead of your enemy. But l let's, let's face it, if you've got the technology and the manpower, you're going to win the day. So at any rate, so these, these satellites up in space, they can actually fire, a few of them now are up there, they can actually fire a, an anti-missile missile and catch an intercontinental ballistic missile as it is being launched out of the atmosphere and its trajectory and then coming back into the atmosphere. These things are moving pretty fast. Once they get out of the atmosphere, there's no drag, there's no air, there's no, uh, no, no molecules to slow them down, so to speak. So this is the latest and the greatest, and this is what Trump is, is pushing. And we actually have another branch of the service now. We have a space uh, branch, the space server, like the Air Force. We've got the Space Force now. That sounds too cool, doesn't it? It does. I, I, wish, never, I wish I was 20, 30 years younger. I'd like to join. I would, too, man. I'd go up there in space and get my binoculars out and look for Chinese and Russian missiles coming at me and throw darts at them and do all kinds of weird things. That'd be fun. Darts? Really? <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear supersonic darts. There you go. <laughs> So we've got the, the, uh, these three terminal systems, defense systems, uh, and they're, they're pretty good. Uh, you know, nothing's 100%. Come on, what are you going to do? You, can't, you cannot ensure absolutely that you're going to knock out everyone, just like with the mask that I have been pushing and the uh, coronavirus, the Wuhan virus, the COVID-19 virus. Is a two-ply cotton mask going to guarantee that you're not going to transmit or contract the the virus no but if it cuts it down by 70 to 80 percent ken that's Better, pretty exactly you improve your pretty, odds yeah that, yeah that's very significant you improve your odds okay one one intercontinental ballistic missile gets through from north korea and it wipes out san francisco but we get the rest of them oh i'm 
I didn't mean to say San Francisco. That's you meant not, L.A., didn't you? I meant you know, <laughs> some little city in Central California. Uh, but, you know, we don't want to see San Francisco wiped out. No, beautiful bridge uh, and everything, you know. Yeah, nice-looking city. The bums are kind of cute, too. <laughs> <laughs> so so we've got the, the, uh, the, the federal government, the military has put together a nice review uh, called the Missile Defense Review 2019, MDR, and so you can pick that up online if you're interested in reading that. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of information in there, and what our capabilities and are ready, whether or not we're ready for what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. So this is all important stuff, big stuff, and I don't want anybody to think that we're being caught with our little panties down. We're not. We're working hard. Um, even Obama administration spent some money on this, although they cut back the military somewhat. Uh, and you can't blame Obama completely. I mean, we were in the middle of a recession. There were deficit reductions that were mandatory. There was limited budget and spending. They were trying to get in everything under tow. Uh, and we had uh, floated out a lot of treasury notes and bonds to um, help uh, bail out the banks. Uh, during, you remember that during the 08, 09? Oh, yeah, uh, very scary time. Yeah. Scary time. Uh, much scarier economically over... Uh, you know, a 24 to 36 month period than this. This is scary for a 12 month period, what we're in now, but I think we're going to come out of it. And uh, we're seeing different states open up in different ways, and people are criticizing one state over another and saying, well, this guy's being a dictator or she's being a, you know, an autocrat or the governor in Georgia's being too liberal. But I think that's a good thing because, uh, as Jefferson pointed out, when the king, King George, said, you colonials can't rule yourself. And Jefferson, what are you talking about? you got 13 colonies that have been self-ruled for 50 to 100 years, so you've got, you know, a couple of hundred, 300 years' worth of experience here. And with each state doing something a little bit different, we're going to see what the results and the effects are. Most of us are not traveling, so we're not going to carry the virus from here to Atlanta or from Atlanta to St. Petersburg, Florida. Most of us are still going to hunker down, and uh, yeah, maybe some of the young people are traveling. I know my son left uh, Richmond, and he's headed home. He stopped in Atlanta to visit his relatives there. But for the most part, Ken, we're not going anywhere, you know. I'm not, I have no plans to go on vacation or travel. I'm taking a staycation this year, just going to stay at home. Well, you know, I told you what I did here at the house. I, my wife was complaining and crying about not being able to take a cruise this summer because they canceled it naturally. Good thing, too. And so I said, well, we'll have a land cruise. She said, what's a land cruise? What are you talking about? So I went out and I bought some of those house numbers that you stick on, you know, just the the flat reflective ones, not mm-hmm. the not the metal ones, just the, the plastic ones. And I put them in every room. And she said, what's that? I said, deck one is the kitchen. So you're in the galley there. Deck two is the breakfast nook. And <laughs> deck three is the, where the TV is. So that's the entertainment uh, arena. And then deck four was the formal dining and the game room. Deck five is the activities area. And she said, what's the activities area? You got it by the garage door. I said, well, that's where I do my activities. <laughs> that's where I build things, work on bicycles and, you know, wash the cars and clean up and everything. And, of course, deck six is the uh, the cabins, the berths. Guess who has a water view cabin? Oh, I'll bet it's you, buddy. 
No. No? <laughs> no, Her Highness. Oh, she's got, okay. She's got the master suite, and it's got a view of the little creek in the backyard and the golf course, and she's got a little balcony. So she's just on a really, really on a nice little cruise. Not as much water as she would like, but... A lot you know, safer. That's right. A lot safer, and she doesn't get seasick. <laughs> so that's important. So we've got that under tow, and so we can take a land cruise here and have a good time. And she's, oh, I want to get out. I want to do something. What do you want to do? We're having fun here. I mean, you know, there's not a whole lot to do anyway. Restaurants are closed, although they're opening back up some now, aren't they? They are, yes. You can take out in most places, I think, if you just want to do that. Yeah, uh, that's been there for a while. Yeah, so, and uh, so I think that uh, the, that we're really not in that bad a shape. I, th- I think we're we're having a, a pretty good year so far. Uh, as as grim as it has been, and as many of our loved ones that we have seen go uh, to a better place, hopefully. Uh, the economy being as tough as it is, but you know, people say, "How are you doing, Doc? How's your practice?" I said, "We're, you know, we're we're not going to make it. We're, we just really won't if we don't get some money uh, coming in." Uh, but we're we're in the same boat as everybody else. So what's the difference? I mean, what are they going to do? Foreclose on a million little businesses? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. There'll have to be some forbearance. And uh, fortunately, we uh, only have the mortgage we have to pay off on the building. And it's not too overwhelming, and we're still keeping up with it. We got rid of the house payment because we sold our house and bought a smaller uh, townhouse with, with what we had in equity in, in the house we sold. So we're, we're doing okay. We're feeding ourselves. We still have health care. Uh, we still have gasoline, and we still got our bicycles, and we're still able to move around. Oh, and and we have money for beer, which is important. Well, Dad, you got to have the money for the beer. I mean, you know, if I go into withdrawals, that's gonna, and I have to be go, I have to go to rehab. That's gonna cost <laughs> a lot of money right there, because <laughs> I don't think Medicare will cover that. <laughs> oh, I don't think you have a problem there, Doc. <laughs> I hope not. No. So, so I am. Although I'm concerned, uh, I'm 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 not going to get upset, and I'm not going to uh, cry over it. Uh, you know, life is what it is, and you're either happy or you're not. You take life as it comes, and uh, as long as you're not starving and you got a roof over your head, well, that's about ninety percent of it, isn't it? It is. That's right. It so really is. Knock on wood or whatever you got to knock on there. Knock on wood, baby. I got wood. I got a wooden desk. So, uh, did you hear that after after the uh, the different organizations and legal groups like the Center for uh, Law and Justice uh, with Jay Sokolow runs that, and then the uh, there's another group I forget the name of it, but they have finally gotten all the material off from the secret uh, the secret hearings that. Uh, that uh, the house held with uh, Schiff and, and Nadler, you know, those two scumbags. And uh, they got all the information, they got all the sworn testimony out that Schiff and Nadler didn't want out. And you heard they dropped the case against uh, General Flynn because of entrapment. Uh, the Justice Department said, well, this is obvious entrapment. And for those who don't know what entrapment is, you cannot... Uh, set somebody up uh, and trick them into saying something that they would not otherwise have said uh, 
uh, if you're trying to create a crime that doesn't exist so you can prosecute them. That's called entrapment. You cannot entrap them. According to our Constitution, you cannot entrap someone. So the FBI entrapped Flynn into crossing back over himself. And, you know, he said, yeah, I had a conversation with the uh, Russian ambassador. And then another time he said, no, we didn't talk about that. And, you know, so they said, well, you said that you did talk to him, now you're saying you didn't, and you said you didn't, now you say you did, and we know you did this when you said you did that. And, you know, they they badgered this old man into uh, confessing to something that he really wasn't guilty of because they threatened to prosecute his son as well and, you know, to, to pester his family. And, and so they entrapped him and they harassed him. And the Justice Department, after they got a hold of these tapes from all of the officials in the Obama administration and in the FBI at that time, who under oath, in secret, in the basement of the, of the, of the Capitol building, with Schiff and Nadler and their little, uh, uh, their little witch hunting, uh, line making machines, comes out that all these people who were publicly saying that there was obvious evidence of collusion between the Trump administration and the Russians, and that Flynn was a liar and he was guilty, under oath, in the basement of the Capitol, they all said, no, that never happened. I have no knowledge of that. I don't have any information that shows that, that General Flynn lied. There's no proof or no connection, uh, no, nothing to show that the president colluded with the Russians, under oath. And, of course, Nadler and Schiff wanted to keep all of this quiet as long as they could. I mean... Can you believe this? Can you believe the way these people are behaving? I mean, this is supposed to be a free society. Basically, you've got a police state. You've got the FBI running amok. We haven't seen anything like this since the 1920s when the Teapot Dome scandal came about and uh, Warren Harding finally died in office and we got rid of his uh, secretary. I forget if it was uh, the Interior who, who was involved in the Teapot Dome scandal. And he was selling influence, and uh, it had to do with storing oil uh, and for the Navy. Yeah, I think it was in Montana or Nebraska in some uh, big oil reserves, you know, like underground caves and stuff. And uh, I think Coolidge came along and fired most of the FBI, reorganized it, and it was a new, new day. Hopefully Trump will win the second election. We can just clean house and... You know, part of Trump's problem is he's just not, he talks tough, but he's not that aggressive. He he doesn't want to wield his power uh, too much. He wants to try and maintain his state's right stand, uh, at the same time trying to develop some policies for the United States, which are long overdue, or revive some policies. These things happen. But, uh, so Flynn is, is out of the woods. He has uh, been freed from prosecution, and now to go back to court where the judge will have to drop the charges formally, and uh, the FISA court abuses will come out as we go along. And it should be a very interesting uh, interesting May, second half of May. I look forward to it. Uh, I want to see these scumbags finally get their comeuppance. And, you know, I said this when this started back in 2016, 2017 on the radio. I said, this is going to come around and bite the Democrats in the butt. You just wait and see. It's taken time, but you know what? 
Ken, I think they're going to lose the election. I think they're going to lose it big. And uh, I think that we're going to come through this uh, COVID stuff in, in pretty good shape. Yes, we're going to continue, as I said last week, to have little waves of outbreaks and deaths. But uh, for the most part, we're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. And we're going to get our government back. And we're going to get these scumbags out of the FBI. And I would bet my eye teeth that this goes all the way up to President Obama. I guarantee you he knew about it. You cannot conduct the kinds of investigations and prosecutions that went on at the level they went on. Uh, People within the Trump administration, high-ranking officials, national security advisors, without people at the top giving approval and knowing about it. And that's a fact, Jack. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, you're going to hear all about mom, the most wonderful person I've ever met. What a great brain she was. What a great human being. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Don't go away. And I'll tell you about Catherine Handelman in the next half of the show. No one else can be what you have been to me. You will always be. With SRN News, I'm Michael Harrington in Washington. Both China and South Korea have reported new spikes in coronavirus cases, setting off concerns in countries where local outbreaks had been in dramatic decline. In the U.S., former President Obama has criticized the Trump administration's handling of the pandemic. U.S. states are gradually reopening. Health officials worldwide are anxious, watching for a second wave of infections. Germany has seen growing numbers of anti-lockdown protests despite relaxing restrictions in recent weeks. The British government has replaced its stay-at-home coronavirus slogan with Stay Alert. The move met with widespread criticism ahead of a speech today in which British Prime Minister Boris Johnson will lay out the stages for lifting the country's lockdown. He says there won't be a whole lot of change. And Iranian media says the country is ready to have unconditional prisoner swap talks with the U.S. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of can care, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill here. With social distancing and sheltering in place, telemedicine is here. Bay Area Medical Home of Can Care Clinic offers telemedicine for new and established patients. You can see me without an in-office visit. Schedule an appointment at 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. When it's time for your appointment, type this web address into your cell phone or computer web browser, doxy.me forward slash Bay Area Med. A cell phone works well and is all you really need. For computers, you need a web camera and speakers. We'll give you this address when you call for your appointment. We accept most insurances and travel insurances. Canadians and visitors, please call your travel insurance company for an authorization number prior to the visit. Co-pays and deductibles apply. Self-pay rates are available. Just ask. We accept credit cards, PayPal, and Stripe. 727-384-6411. 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. 
TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. Balance of Nature's Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule. Changing the world one life at a time. I do have my energy, and it's not like energy that is like a caffeine-high energy, but in terms of just having the vitality to go through the day, and, and there are times when I just notice that, you know what, I'm actually not tired. This is not uh, tiring me. So I feel like my energy level is good and better than it was in times past. So I think that's a documented fact. Don't wait to see what getting over 10 servings of whole fruits and vegetables every day can do for you. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Start your journey to better health today by calling 1-800-2468-751 or by going to balanceofnature.com. Again, that's balanceofnature.com. And make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code RESULTS. Take AM860, The Answer, with you wherever you go with our mobile app, TheAnswerTampa.com, Alexa, TuneIn, iHeart, and at Radio.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. Congress has opened back up. The Senate is hard at work. Liz Cheney, the number three Republican, joins me to talk about what is, in essence, Cold War 2.0 with the People's Republic of China. How do we express that resolve on the next Hugh Hewitt Show? Weekday mornings at 6 on AM 860. The answer. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Cloudy skies throughout the day and night. We'll have a couple of showers and a thunderstorm during the day with a high 78, low tonight 66. Warmer day tomorrow with partial sunshine. Monday's high 86. Clear night, low 64. For Tuesday, a full day of sunshine. High 88. Clear to partly cloudy at night, low 66. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder. For AM 860, The Answer. Whenever I was down, you were always there to comfort me. No one else can be what you have been. Tell you a little bit about my mother, Catherine C. Handelman. She was born Catherine Cecilia Bonaroski to a coal miner. She is a coal miner's daughter. Oh my gosh, or she was. Eulogy to a great woman. She was born November 17th, 1910. At least that's what she told us. We're not sure because, you know, women lying back then. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> she was probably older than that. And she died January 27, 2007. So she was uh, 96 years old. 96. Oh, my gosh. And I said, Mom, you've had quite a life before she got senile in the last couple of years in her early 90s. And she said, Billy, when I was born, we had a well pump. We had a wooden wood cook stove. Uh, we had kerosene oil burning lamps for light, and we heated uh, with uh, wood stoves and fireplaces. And I've seen men on the moon, uh, the development of computers, the revolution in, in medicine and in immunology. I've seen uh, diseases like smallpox eradicated from our country. I have seen quite a century. When she was born, there was no air flight. You know, the Wright brothers were just developing their planes. So we rejoice in her life, and we honor her great spirit. It dwelled with us for 96, almost 100 years. And she was a little thing. She was only five feet, but, boy, she cast a big shadow 
and we watched with uh, love and with sorrow as she grew older and declined and saw the sands of time etching away her once beautiful face. And she really was a pretty young girl. And she had not an easy life. Um, her mother died when she was a teenager. Her older sister died when she was a teenager. They would clean houses for extra money. They were maids when they were kids in high school. And her older sister fell out of a window and broke her neck, a second story window, cleaning the windows. Her mother died of pneumonia at age 43. And when her mother died, her father said, well, now you're the oldest female in the house because her oldest sister had been married off by her father. That was back in the days when they were still able to get away with that uh, to another Polish immigrant, a friend of his. So her sister was gone early, her oldest sister. And so she was the oldest woman in the house. And her father said, you have to stay home and take care of the house now. Your mother's gone and your older sister above you, they're all gone. And she was 16, and she was the top of her class. She went to Steubenville High School, Steubenville, Ohio. She was born in southeastern Ohio and lived in Tiltonsville, a little town, in the coal mining district. And, and Ken, you probably don't know, but that is at the confluence of West Virginia, eastern Kentucky, and east southeastern Ohio, where the coal mines are uh, in the Appalachians. And so he came here, and he became a coal miner. And so she was truly the daughter of a coal miner. I asked her once, I said, Mom, what was it like for the Depression for you guys? Because my dad was always crying how hard he had it. She said, Billy, we didn't know there was a Depression going on. Dad still mined coal. We had a truck garden, which is what fed, fed us a lot. And uh, we traded services for different things with neighbors and friends. And we didn't really know there was a recession, Depression going on in the 1920s and 30s. So here's a woman whose early life was lit by kerosene lamps, her bath water drawn from a well pump, and her life spanned almost a century of such radical changes. I mean, to go from coal stoves to computer and electronics and no air flight to jet planes and, uh, and men on the moon. Oh, wow, what she got to see. And so her childish reveries and dreams that she had, she actually made them come true. She decided she wanted to be a doctor. She was a valedictorian of her high school class. Steubenville, as you know, is where uh, uh, General Washington visited uh, the only city west of the Appalachians that he visited when he was president. Um, she was one of seven children, and she decided she wanted to be a doctor. And, of course, she didn't have any money. She was from a, a, a poor family, and uh, she went to Kent State and got an associate degree in English, which was enough to, to go and teach school for a few years and she saved her money and she returned to Kent State and got her bachelor's degree and applied to the University of Louisville School of Medicine. She graduated in 1942, one of two women in her medical school class. At that time Louisville was a private school and it was a real prize to be accepted there and of course she had to pay because it was private. And so she got a prestigious internship at Charity Hospital in New Orleans, which was then one of the most sought-after internships. She got a pediatric residency at the University of Louisville, and again she excelled and was appointed chief resident. She was an associate professor at the medical school for a few years, and then that, that scoundrel of a man I call my father chased her down and uh, pursued her, and finally she gave up and married him. And... Uh, 
she she stuck by him as even though he was a, a difficult humanoid, uh, and I love him and and I, I appreciate all that he did, but he was a difficult man. But at any rate, she stuck by him and she made her marriage last a great feat in a turbulent era, and she had the four of us: my sister Jackie, Anna, and Beth. And then we have our grandchildren, uh, our children and their grandchildren, Grace, Billy, Jeremy, Jake, John, Jeff, and, and now Zeke, who's, gosh, he's 23, Ken. He's going to be 24 this summer. My mom was raised Catholic from a poor family, female, and a doctor. So naturally, she was a social activist and a liberal. And she got involved in the Kentucky Department of Health uh, early on in her career, and she was director of maternal and child welfare for the State Department, the Kentucky Department of Health, and she established prenatal and well baby clinics throughout parts of Kentucky, and Kentucky was still a very poor state back then. Uh, this was in the late 40s, early 50s. She brought health care to areas that had never seen a doctor. She brought well baby and uh, uh, prenatal care, and she got kids immunized, and she's the first non-military physician to administer penicillin in Kentucky, she had a kid that was dying of pneumonia, and she got a special dispensation from the military as a chief resident or, or a young faculty person, I guess she was faculty at that time, to give a shot of penicillin. The, the kid died, but uh, to her credit, she tried. She got penicillin at a time when no one else in the state was able to get penicillin. She was invited to the White House, and I have the I have the the the, the uh, invitations from presidents I have from President Eisenhower, President Kennedy, and from uh, from President uh, Truman. She was actually on three presidential committees on youth and child welfare. I have a letter from President I'm sorry, Vice President Alvin Barkley, who was uh, President Truman's vice president. Uh, when she was there in the early 50s, before he left office, and Barkley apologized to her personally for missing a breakfast meeting that he was supposed to come and join. And he said he had a scheduling conflict typed by his secretary on the vice presidential letterhead with his personal signature. Is that cool or what, man? Is that cool or what? That is quite a life. That's quite a life. And so she gave her time, her knowledge, and her skills to those less fortunate and fulfilled her beliefs in doing so. She was uh, quite a woman, and she impacted the health care of the United States for kids. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the family demands, they soon got to be too much. So she shifted from the state to the county level uh, in the late 50s or mid-50s. I can't remember when. I was still pretty young then. And she was the pediatrician for Jefferson County, Kentucky, for the for the foster kids and the kids that were in in jail and, and in detention centers. And and I would go with her and I'd go down to the detention center downtown and she would see the new because every kid that had that came in that was arrested had to be examined to make sure that they were OK and make sure they had all their immunizations and that they were being fed and taken care of. And then we also had Ormsby Village, which was uh, like a, a temporary home for kids who were intermediate between detention and being back in society with their families and kids who were out of their homes, foster kids who had nowhere to go or children of abuse and neglect. 
and there were several cottages out there, and I don't know how many kids. It was a big facility, and we'd go out there, and you know, I'd go with her, and while she saw, made her rounds and saw patients, and I still remember the, uh, you remember the big old milk uh, cows they had, and you'd, you'd, they had those big boxes of milk with the little nipple that hung down, and you'd push the lever down. I don't know if you remember that. Ken, you should be old enough to remember those. We had those in school, too. And I still remember asking mom, can I go get some milk? (laughs) And she'd say, yeah, Billy, you go get some. Oh, gosh. You know, her calm and kind countenance provided uh, so much strength and encouragement for me. And now she wasn't soft. Don't don't get me wrong. She was calm and she was deliberate, but she was not soft. And she told me from an early age, Ken, she'd say, Billy, I'm not always going to be here, so you have to learn to take care of yourself. She had me cooking and cleaning and ironing before I got to high school. I could take care of myself. Um, not that I wanted to, but, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. And I still remember her putting me up on the kitchen counter when I was a little kid. And I got to help her bake and, and roll out the dough and make Christmas cookies or make a pie crust. And, and she did a little cooking, and it was pretty good when she cooked. She was pretty good, pretty darn good. And so her legacy, oh my gosh, she is, uh, you know, I'm a doctor, my sister's a nurse, another sister's a social worker, Uh, my daughter's a PhD, my son is getting his master's degree, Uh, my sister Jackie, she's got two sons who are doctors and one son who is uh, uh, a mid-level executive with Eli Lilly and company. Uh, you know, we've we've got some uh, some really talented people. My nephew uh, Jake is extremely talented, a musician and a craftsman and artisan. Uh, wow, what she's done, what she has done. She left and the country I, quite a legacy there. She left a legacy, and I tell you, I don't know, but I think one of these days, one of her offspring is going to win a Nobel Prize or invent something that will change humanity. She loved winters. She loved all the seasons, but she really loved winter. You know what we had when we moved out into the suburbs? Back then, you'd pour a little concrete patio out in the yard and uh, in the backyard off of the back, off of the the uh, the, the lower level, and and uh, you know you had sliding glass door. You'd go out there, and, and in the winter, guess what she'd do, Ken? She'd go out there and she would spray it down wait for that to freeze, put another coat of water on it. And she got a little ice skating ring for us, and she bought us all ice skates, and she'd go out there and just push us out there. <laughs> and we're all wobbling, and she'd say, you can do it, you can do it. And guess what? We, we were all pretty good ice skaters. And in Louisville, Kentucky, that, that was uh, not, not very common. Here's how we learned to swim. She threw us in the water when we were two years old. That'll do it. That'll do it. And she got in there and, you know, she did just like they do the drowning classes now. We'd be, blah, 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 and she'd push us up a little bit and she'd say, go to the wall, and, you know, and she'd get us dog paddling over. And so by the time we were three years old, we were all swimming. We, we had just learned to walk and we were swimming. And my little sister, Anna, uh, she'd be, she was so tiny and she was two and a half years old, and she's going in the in the shallow end, up and down, up and down, coming up like a turtle, grabbing a breath air, and then going back down. And people are screaming, that child is drowning, and my mother's just sitting there. Nah, she's fine. She'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, my gosh, what a human being. She, uh, I, between my, my eighth grade and my freshman year of high school, I said, Mom, I'm, I'm afraid about 
high school. What do I need to do to get ready? And she said, Billy, you need to learn how to type. I said, I do? She said, yeah. So she sent me to typing classes. So there I am with all these 18-year-old uh, wannabe secretaries and little 14-year-old Billy boy <laughs> learning to type, typing away. And I'm still a pretty good typist. I probably type about 30, 40 words a minute. Not bad for an old goat, huh? It's a skill everybody needs, especially you need today, a, you know. Oh, well, they all do it with one yeah. finger now. I took typing yeah. in high school because of the, the, um, the onslaught of computers that were coming. Yeah, I mean, you had to. Yeah. And, you know, what a, what, a, what a great thing she did for me and the direction she steered me in. And as much of a pain in the butt as I was and all of my problems and getting into the booze and the drugs and all that, and she, she just kept pushing. She said, you can do it. You'll be okay. And uh, hung in there, hung, stayed right beside me in her own uh, quiet way. She wore the pants in the family, by the way. Uh, she was something else. She was something to see. She'd come in a room, Ken, and her eyes would just scan the room. I'd watch her for 30 seconds. She'd just go back and forth. She would memorize everything and everyone in that room. She knew where everything was, and she she had the lay of the land. She was like a little uh, reconnaissance machine. She'd just scan it. She'd just extremely bright and quick and and uh, of course, my sisters didn't get the benefit of a lot of her uh, intellect because they weren't interested. But she'd quote Shakespeare and uh, taught me all kinds of of things. She was an English major, just like me, by the way. So she she had a, a great depth of of uh, knowledge of the language, and she taught me how to speak appropriately. Uh, although I do, don't always do that. Sometimes I say things I shouldn't. I'm sure she's I, very proud of you. Well, I don't know if she is or not, but I'm proud of her. And uh, so what becomes the best part of, of a good woman's life, you know? Her professional accomplishments, her nameless little acts of kindness, all the women in, the, in her group, they just adored her, worshipped her, you know, because she succeeded. The good counsel she gave, the bandage to our wounds, or the friendship to her peers, all these things, where did all this come from? all in one little five-foot-tall package. And you know what she regretted the most in her life, besides mm. having the brood of four nasty kids that she had? <laughs> <laughs> she said, Billy, I said, Mom, what would you have done different if you could? She said, I would have gone to Hollywood and gone into acting. Oh. She was an actress in high school and starred in her school play, and she just loved it. But she loved so many things. She was just good at so many things, and... Uh, the magnanimity of her as a grandmother, um, her selflessness to her community and to the country. Uh, you just can't find that. I mean, that just doesn't, doesn't float by every day, you know. And I still miss her, and I still love her, and I still care about her. What a woman. What a woman. I got to tell you, this this will really break you up. My sister Jackie, who's always whining about she didn't have the same opportunities as me because she was a woman, my older sister. <laughs> One day I said to her, I said, Jackie, you realize mom was a doctor and she did it on her own. Shut up. And she hung up on me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's my sister. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Uh, she's still not talking to me, by the way, after we got into it over. Uh, she, she doesn't like Trump. And oh, she's man, life's too short for that. I know, and she blames Trump for the coronavirus like he invented it and then spread it around the world. Uh, uh, but...
they will listen to the show. All right, bud, I'm out of here. Love you guys. See you next week. Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Stop.